I'm excited to be with you this morning. Not sure if I'm on. You guys have such great acoustics here that I'm not, I'm used to like bouncing off a metal roof, you know, blaring in your ears. But I, I, first I just wanted to say I'm excited to be here this morning. My name is Jason Walbrink and uh, my beautiful wife, Chris, Joanna here, two of my sons are here. Um, excited to see that because sometimes you're in the middle of it and you don't see the pictures and you don't see what's happening. You just feel the work of it and, and to look back, it just brings joy to my heart. I wanted to say thank you for uh, this missions conference this morning. It's amazing. We've had a crazy last month. It's been nonstop, busy, packing, uh, finishing ministry events, coming to the U.S., traveling to other things. And sometimes going to churches, I'm not going to lie. I'll let you in on a secret as missionaries. Like, it's not always exciting to go to every church. You know, some of them don't have a children's ministry. Some of them you go to and they're, they don't even greet you at the door and you're the one that's supposed to preach, you know? And so, you know, you're like, oh, a church. And then my kids heard, oh, it's Grace Church. And they were like, oh, yeah. Matter of fact, we got in, uh, our flight was delayed. We came uh, back from Mexico City at a conference. We were out with some of our church team, a few people that showed up in the video. Um, and we, we were supposed to get in Wednesday around noon and then drive up here. I think we got in at, at 2 a.m. Thursday morning. So I called, I said, you know, we're going to drive to my mom's house in Quincy, Illinois. We've got to wash our clothes and repack. And I said, I think it's going to be Friday morning, Pastor Marty. And my wife goes, no, it's grace. We've got to go today. So we slept a few hours and we got up here. We're like, we don't want to miss it. So I want to say thank you, Pastor Phil, just for that culture that you've put into the church. Pastor Marty, thank you. All the work, Pastor Marty's been making it happen. And his team got a great team. Um, I also want to say a big thank you to the Borseth family, Eric and Patty, great host, wonderful hospitality, as well as everyone else um, that's taken us out or been with us. Too many names to mention. Uh, but five years ago, I stood on this stage. It's crazy. It goes by quick. Five years ago, I stood on this stage in uh, October, November 2018, and we had just came back from the field on furlough. And... I spoke with you guys. As I got ready to come back here, I had to dig out the old uh, missions table supplies. Another secret about missionaries. We don't always go down to the market and buy new stuff every time we come. We just store it in a little tote. Luckily, praise God for mom's basement. I had it in the basement, so I go to get that out. And Jeremiah is my uh, missions table helper today. You might, might find him out there with giving out prayer cards. We go through and I had to get some new photos. And in that, I found a photo. And I want, I want to ask him to put it up. And, and I remembered this photo because this was the same picture and the story that I shared five years ago when I was on this stage. It came back to me as I prepared for the message. And this is Carlos Janak. He was in a few of those uh, pictures in that video, a lot of them. He was with me in Mexico City this, this last week. And I want to tell you more about Carlos, but I want to tell you how his story started in case you forgot what I shared five years ago. Maybe dig through the sermon notes, those of you that are note takers. But Carlos, he didn't want to come to church. When we started our church, Fuente de Vida, eight years ago, at the first church anniversary, we did a big event. We got some inflatable games in. We had a big picnic for kids and we were promoting evangelism because, you know, when you're a church planner, you have no other option but evangelism. You have to invite people or you die. So we brought a bunch of people in and, you know, I remember Carlos's wife, Marty Bell, came. 
Very similar story that I had heard many times in the beginning of the church. You know, she said, hey, pastor, my name's Marty Bell. These are my two daughters. She said, I grew up in church as a girl, but I, I've not walked with God at all. And today, today I came back to the Lord and I'm so excited. And I'm going to be coming to church here. But pray for my husband. What's his name? Carlos. There were so many Carlos and Juan and Jose's in those first years. I'm going to be honest. I, I'm not going to lie. I did the old pastor thing. Praise God, hermana. I'm going to pray for you, sister. But I forgot. But she came back next week. And the next week. And the next week. And she kept on saying, pray for my husband, Carlos. He's bitter. He's angry at his life. And he really needs God. And I'm so excited at what I'm learning here. I'm, and I said, invite him to church. Invite him to church. Well, in the background, Carlos told me she was inviting him to church for eight months. But see, Carlos, Carlos, he was a school teacher. He was working. He was pretty active in the community, played in a local uh, band called Ixma, Peruvian music. The thing is, Carlos had a lot of bitterness in his life. He could never find joy in anything. He struggled with unforgiveness. His mother had abandoned him. He even spent a couple years in an orphanage as a child. And as Marty Bell invited him to church, he started to get more and more frustrated and angry to the point where he finally said, woman, I was born a Catholic and I'm going to die a Catholic and I will never set foot in that church. He said, those people are crazies. Well, I have to agree there. There are moments where we're kind of crazy, you know, if you, if you see some of our worship nights and stuff, you probably saw it. We do some crazy stuff. Uh, but Eight months went by, and it's funny how God works. His daughter, who actually is the photographer and took most of those photos <laughs> in the church, she's Santi's age now. She was probably about six, seven years old, and she came up to him one day, and she said, Daddy, when Mommy and I go to church, there are families sitting there together, but we always go by ourselves. Nosotras estamos solas. And Carlos's heart was touched and the Holy Spirit used the words of his daughter and he went to church just to please his daughter. But then he came back the next week and the next week he came forward and he stayed afterwards and he said, Pastor, I don't know how to pray because I don't even know where to begin with God. And he got on his knees and he gave his life to Christ. And when I was here last time, when I was here last time, I stood on this stage I shared with you how he had grown and how I discipled him and he had actually had a great, a very powerful uh, restoration in the relationship with his mother, how that was starting to be contagious in the church. He was sharing that message of forgiveness and that he was actually our first deacon that we had named the last time we came. Well, well uh, that's continued and I'm going to tell you more about Carlos later, but today I was excited uh, when I came to the conference and I had the opportunity to speak today to see the verse that Pastor Marty picked out. See, years ago when I first got to Peru, I was uh, visiting another church the first year. I'd go to different churches and sometimes I'd share or speak or I'd just go and listen. And I remember hearing that verse and I fell onto that and it said those, Psalms 126, five, I, I like how the New Living reads, um, if they can put it up there. It says, those who sow with tears will harvest with shouts of joy. But I'm going to be honest with you. I read that verse the first time and, you know, we were just arriving to the field and we had that gumption and energy. We're going to change the world, you know, in Jesus name. And we came down and, and I thought, I don't want to sow with tears. I mean, 
something's wrong with people if they're depressed when they're going to church. I mean, what's going on with this? I didn't get it. I remember reading the verse and it was one of those that you just flip by it and you're like, "Eh, yeah, yeah, you know. That's for old people. I'm not gonna lie. That's what I probably thought. Sowing with tears, something they're doing wrong. Harvest with shouts of joy. It it, it didn't ring with me, but but I wanna tell you that (laughs) that's all changed. See, after we were here in furlough the last time, uh, 2018, 2019, we go back to Peru and it was a good time of furlough. We were able to debrief and decompress and reconnect and connect with God. And we got a lot of vision for what God had. We made a plan and we went back down to Peru and our church had just got a new building and we helped finish remodel that building and get it set up. We started to do some outreaches in the end of 2019. And then January, 2020 came. New Year's is a big deal for us. We always like to launch into the new year and set goals. And we had a big retreat for all of our church. And we got We had a new ministry uh, model that we're using with a leadership team. We call them the inner circle, the circulo intimo. Now, remember we had these new couples and they came to our house and we were teaching them about goal setting and giving them the vision for the church. And I mean, we were ready to rock Peru that year. Do you remember, Chris? We were so excited. I remember even saying, this isn't just a new year. This is a new decade. And we were, oh. We started our programming in February and we were just moving along great. I even remember, I don't know where Andy Pace is. I don't know where he is at if he's in here today. But uh, I remember at the school, we went and met at the school. We had programs and ministry programs we were going to do with the school. And then February came and we heard about this little virus over in China, some bats and weird stuff. And Peruvians didn't really understand what it was, but they knew that people were getting sick. And then all of a sudden the end of February came and the government just came out from one day to the next. And they said, guess what? Everything's closed. As of tomorrow, mad scramble to buy food, toilet paper. We're shutting you down. But it's only for a week for your own good, they said, so that, you know, it doesn't spread because, I mean, things spread quickly in Peru if you see the conditions, how people live. It's for your own good. There's a couple problems with that. Number one, the people in our community live hand to mouth. Half of them don't have a refrigerator. They go to work for the day. They get paid. They go to the bodega. They buy some rice. A couple presas de pollo, some chicken. They go home, make up their pot of food for the day. Sometimes they even have credit at the bodega. Sometimes they don't even get paid. It just gets paid to the bodega, you know? Stay home? They they didn't understand it. There was a lot of fear. Is this so great? Are we all going to die? That seven days, they told us, ended up being over a year and a half that the country was completely shut down. Now, it wasn't shut down like it was here. <laughs> I was like, well, Pastor Jason, we, we had that here in Iowa. No, I came back to visit during that time. You had optional shutdowns. There, it was a communist government. We actually had a communist president take over in that time. We had military roadblocks. You were not allowed out of your house without written permission from the government. Couldn't go out of your house with a car for over a year. Praise God, I had just bought a motorcycle, though. (laughs) Motorcycles were allowed for delivery, so they just thought I was a delivery driver. I was able to zip. (laughs) Yep. 
week before the shutdown, we got that, the Lord knew. There was constant fear. There was government corruption. We were, they, they revoked all of our constitutional rights in Peru. Police had ultimate power. There was no private property. You could be stopped for anything. There were shakedowns happening. The government had carte blanche. They spent all the national reserves. But most of all, there was a strong sense of uncertainty. Strong sense of uncertainty. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's coming in the future? Where are we going with this? <clears throat> and after the first couple of months, I remember we, we, we scraped together the reserves that we had with the church. And <clears throat> we went out and gave food out to some families in the community. We thought, you know, it, it might last 30 days, right? And then it'll open back up. And then we did it again after 45 days. And at that point, we were out of money. We didn't have any personal savings. We didn't have any church savings. We had spent it all, but it kept going on and on. It came June of 2020. People in our community were desperate. Signs were coming up that said, it's better to die of COVID than hunger. That's what they'd put out in the community. People wanted to work. They weren't allowed to go to work. The president had sent national aid. He sent trucks and trucks of food to every district, including Seneguia, our district. But we happened to have a very corrupt mayor that had taken office just before this. And him and his cronies took all that food and lined their own pantries. They did leave a truck of chickens that were rotten that they went out and took videos of giving out. Kind of backfired. I saw it on Facebook. The people threw the chickens back at them. Pollo podrido. <laughs> It was, it was pretty, a lot of rage, frustration. Let me ask you something. Have you ever felt frustrated about unjust things that you, you've seen happening around you? Have you ever felt that feeling? Maybe you can identify with me. And you, you know that it's wrong and you, something needs to be done. But it feels like it, it's out of your power. You don't know what to do. So I did what every good Christian would do. I went out for a run the next day, looking over my shoulder to make sure the police weren't coming so I could slip my mask off for a minute and breathe. <clears throat> and I complained to God. Look at somebody next to you and say, hey, uh, you know you've complained to God too. Tell them. <laughs> Tell them right back, you have too. So have you. So have you. I'm not the only one here. I know that. Come on now. <clears throat> they told me we were going to be real this morning. I started to complain to God. You know the classic. If only, if only I was a billionaire, Lord. If only I had loads of cash. Man, if I was in that position, if I, if only, then I would feed these people. The people are hungry. They're starving. We've poured our lives in this community. I know these people. I know the needs. I'm seeing it. Lord, why? If only I had... The funny thing is that sometimes you complain to God and it's quiet. <laughs> but, but this time I was out running and that still small voice talked right back to me. Didn't miss a beat. Jason, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I have all resources. And I want to feed the people, but I don't have a man that will stand in the gap in faith for them to bring heaven to earth. What will you do? Just like Jesus said, when the disciples said there's not enough to feed them, 
You feed them. Boom, I stopped in my tracks. Okay. I don't know what that looks like, Lord, but okay. Went home, called the leadership group together via Zoom, the team. Guys, we're going to feed the people. We're going to call it Alimentos de Vida. Means food of life. It's a catchy name, by the way, in Spanish. Problem was, right away, one couple on our leadership team said, no, we'll die. We're not going out of our house. They abandoned ship. I thought, oh man, I'm a bad leader. Maybe I heard God wrong. Even my wife said, I'm afraid to go out. We could get sick. But one of our ladies, Marty Bell, Carlos's wife, she said, Pastor, if we die, we die for the glory of God. I'm in. And then everybody else said, we're in too. Let's go. So one of our other team members put on the website a little sign up. We're going to promote it on Facebook. We had thousands of people watching our videos on Facebook at the time, stuck in their houses, promoted on Facebook. However, we had a sign up. They had to get a little code because, you know, it can go a little wild sending, giving food out. So he said 150 food baskets for 150 families. Let's start with that. That sounds good. In three minutes, we had to take the website down. Okay. Then they said, Pastor, there's one problem. The next day, one, one of our deacons said, we don't have any money. And it's next Wednesday. Don't worry, God's going to provide. That same day, a pastor, Brian Lambert, called me from a church in Houston, Texas. And he said, Jason, I sent you a few days ago to the mission, $1,000 to help with needs in your community. You should have arrived by now. Praise Jesus, boys, we're going to the market. We went down and bought some food, gave it out. They said, hey, there's a lot more people that need, need help. We need to increase this. Okay, we'll do 250 next week. 350 the next week. We got to, for, for three months we did this, we were feeding 300, 400, 500 families a week. Bags of bread, bags of rice and beans, fruit. We'd go to the local market and we'd ask for donations and they'd give us big old costales of 50 pound bags of fruit and potatoes and we'd pray for their businesses and we'd share the gospel with them. We activated the community. <clears throat> I can't even estimate because I only know the, food, the price of the food that we bought not the food that was donated, but we gave over $20,000 worth of food out and it came in miraculously every week. We got phone calls from people in Spain giving us food that heard of us. I don't know how the Holy Spirit led them. And we, we stood in those hazmat suits that the government required us to wear with two or three masks and face shields. But there I am, there's my wife, there's some, one of our pastors. And we stood there and we prayed for everyone. We had worship music playing. We weren't allowed to let them in our church. And we prayed for them right there on the street. We gave them the food. We led people to Christ right there on the street. All of this happened outside the four walls of the church. Keep that in mind. Often the best ministry happens outside these four walls. When I look back on this and I remember this time, I see a lot of tears in that time. There was a lot of frustration in my own life, a lot of question marks about what we were doing in ministry. Should we leave? All the missionaries that I know of had left the country except for the Paces and ourselves. There were a lot of moments, God, why am I still here? But when I read Psalms 126.5, it says those who sow with tears 
will harvest with shouts of joy. Eric asked us the other night when we got to his house and we were talking about this. He said, did you see a lot of fruits from that? I'm going to be honest. We weren't allowed to open our church up for over a year after that. Heck, I think the next year we opened our church and they closed us down again for six months. So, so it felt like at the time that we were crying and we were sowing and we were crying and we were sowing and we didn't see a thing. They thought maybe we sowed in the wrong season. Maybe we did the wrong thing. I thought that. But 2022, when we reopened the church, we had nearly 80 people give their lives to Christ and we baptized 50 of them in 2022. The women's ministry that launched in 2022, many of those women were there in those lines, came back. There's hundreds of women in that Mujer de Vida group. All kinds of things happened, not not to count what God's doing this year, which is yet to be measured because we haven't finished the year. But the first thing I want to tell you today is is something that my grandpa used to say. (laughs) My grandpa was a farmer. He used to say, you got a short season to plant, son, so get up off the couch and get moving. Sound like an old Midwestern farmer, huh? What I want to tell you today is that you have to sacrifice comfort in order to plant in season. You have to sacrifice comfort in order to plant If you couldn't tell by my last name, Walbrink, I'm a, from a German farming family. I was born and raised, I was born in Keokuk, Iowa, so I guess I'm an Iowan. I'm not sure if it's an Iowan is the right word. That was because I lived across the river in Illinois, but there was no hospital, so they brought me over there to be born in Iowa, plant my flag, right? Immigrant baby, right? I came back to eat some Iowa beef and claim my heritage, but uh, grew up in a farming family in Illinois. Long line of German farmers that came over as immigrants, worked extremely hard. But hey, they played almost none. (laughs) They didn't play at all. They just worked hard. Hey, we got that at least, right? (laughs) Work hard, play hard. No, we just worked. That was the family motto. But one thing that I learned, of course, a good work ethic is needed. Many of you might be able to relate with me, uh, being from maybe Scandinavian, Swedish, Dutch, or, or German families that have populated the Midwest. They worked hard, but they also taught me certain values. And, and these were good values for sure. Things like living sparingly, living frugally, taking care of your finances. See, grandpa planted and harvested. He only made stuff once a year and then he had to save it throughout the year and make it last, right? So words that would go around our family, there were phrases like, waste not, want not. Anybody with me on that? And I think that was a good heritage to plant in my heart, but there was such a focus on that 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 sometimes I've struggled with a fear of running out. I'll give you an example. My, my cell phone, it's a mortal sin for me to have the battery under 30%. The charger didn't work last night. It actually went bad. I forgot my charger and I was using my wife's. Now I know why her phone always has 7%. I thought she was trying to wean it off electricity to run on, on God's power, right? But it actually kind of backwards charges up. My phone, it woke up, it was like 14%. I'm like, no, in the name of Jesus, I gotta find a charger. Right? Anybody with me? You're like, I cannot let the reserves go down that low. I've, I've, I've got to keep reserves. I, I don't want to because I'm afraid of running out. One time, 
I got worked out about her phone. Your phone's always out of juice. And she said, honey, the world's not over. You just plug it in again. It's amazing. Renewable. You know, I found a verse in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 I want to share with you. It says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. When we talk about sowing in the kingdom of God, it could be personal evangelism. It could be giving your time, your money, and the most valuable resource, your life. Here in the local church ministry, it could be following God's call into the world. But I think that we struggle sometimes with a German farmer mindset. At least I know I do. I don't know if anyone's with me here today. I've often felt guilty when we come back from the field. And I've sat with the other missionaries and you kind of look at each other and you're like, man, I see some more gray hairs over there. Wait a second, I've got some more. We look a little battle scarred. Bags under the eyes, sleep deprived, tired, stressed. And I've heard people say, you need to live a balanced lifestyle, son. And I've, I've tried, I've tried, I really have. I've tried to you know, put some more boundaries and try to exercise and have a better life. And, and then you hit ministry opportunities and, and it, it's just like the rain pours. But I see in scripture, I don't see in scripture, keep that German reserves, work hard, die rich. I see pour yourself out. And that's what God told me during that time. When I was in a desperate moment of giving up and I went to the church altar to pray before the service. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. He said, pour yourself out like a drink offering. Amen. God says in scripture, hold nothing back. And that's the second thing I want to tell you today. See, God can never multiply what you hold back. I've checked with the math teachers. We've got a math teacher on staff in Peru. I've even used chat GPT. Anybody in here with artificial intelligence? Love that stuff. I'm always playing with it. I've had it calculated. And you know what I found? Any number. Doesn't matter the talents you have. It doesn't matter the amount of money you have in your investments and bank account. Doesn't matter what you have, millions, billions, any number multiplied by zero is always equal to zero. God cannot multiply what you hold back. One time I was, and with this I'm gonna finish today, I was hiking up a mountain where I live in Peru, Phil knows, beautiful spot, no greenage around. I mean, it's green grass because we water it, everything else is dirt and rock. But there are mountains. I mean, they don't even call them mountains in Peru. They're foothills, cerros, right? <laughs> They're just little hills. Peruvians have real mountains. When it's over 20,000 foot, it's a mountain, right? This is about three, 4,000 foot, literally on both sides of my house. It's like, it looks like a tidal wave of dirt that got frozen in the air. It's just this sheer wall. And there's a ridge to go up. And I always like to occasionally go up there and find a spot to pray, pray over the valley, consider the smallness of my life down there when I see my house like a speck below. And I've walked up and hiked up and ran up multiple mountains. And on all of those ridges, there's something amazing. You'll find pieces of broken pottery. First, I'd see it here and there. And as I would sit to pray, I'd find more pieces and I'd scrape through the dust. And one time I even found one that was shattered, a small jar that was just shattered open. And I was able to find the pieces. 600-year-old piece of pottery, pre-Incan, from the Ikshma culture. Kind of put it together and see what it was. 
See, why is all that pottery up there? Because they worship the hills, the apus. Matter of fact, they still worship them to this day. And they took these clay pots and they put valuable little ofrendas or offerings up there. Anything of value has rotten or been stolen or is long gone, but the pots, the broken pieces are still there. And it reminded me of a verse in 2 Corinthians 4.7. It says something that God's been speaking to me all week when I was going to come up here and speak today. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Why jars of clay? I don't know. I can think of a lot of things I'd like God to make me that it's not clay. I mean, have you ever heard, ever heard anyone say, oh, he's worth his weight in clay? <laughs> or my son and I have been going to the gym, doing a little weights. We've got to get in shape, you know? I mean, can you imagine a friend like, hey, I've been lifting weights, you know? I've got arms of clay. Can you imagine? Nobody would say that. And you're like, what? What clay? Jars of clay? Come on, God. Can we at least put a little bit of gold coating on it? Can we paint it? Porcelain, maybe? There's this amazing thing in Peru with clay pots. It's called buffet criollo. <laughs> Peruvians in the room know about it. Buffet criollo, if you're hungry and you get out of church and somebody invites you to a party or you go to a nice restaurant and they have a buffet criollo, you know. They'll line up these clay pots. There'll be a row of them on the table. And they take the tops off those pots and they're the most succulent dishes you've ever tried. Aji de gallina, sopa seca, frijoles, arroz con pollo, lomo saltado, beef, chicken, all kinds of stewed meats, rices, beans, everything you can imagine. You fill your plate. I mean, it's amazing. The thing is, those clay pots, they use them for a reason. My wife was saying, you know why they use those? She told me last night it's because they cook slow and it gives more flavor to the food. And I see those clay pots and when you go into a buffet criollo, the clay pots are rough. They're not pretty. Some of them are chipped. They're all faded from the fire. Some of them will have cracks in the lids and on the sides. Some of them, sometimes you go and they've used them enough, you think, man, they might maybe need a new renewal of these things. But nobody that goes to a buffet criollo cares about what the pots look like. It's what's inside that matters. It's what they carry. (laughs) See, that's what God is calling us. Church, he's calling us to carry the message Some of you have gone through some things and you say, I'm chipped. I'm cracked. I don't know what to do. What is God going to do with me? What can he do with me? I'm not the vessel. You need someone that's an example, that's shining, that has a, a great holiness about them. How can I share the gospel? How can I be used in the kingdom of God? How can I serve? You got some chips, some cracks, some fading some wrinkles. But it's about what God has been cooking slowly on the inside that he wants to give out. And you know the trick with those clay pots? You can't leave anything in them. The food will rot if it stays in there. Every time we have a buffet, you have to eat it all. We never leave anything. 
Because it'll rot if it stays inside. There are pots. They're made to be filled up and served out. And that is what God wants us to be. We're made to be filled up and we're made to be served out. And maybe you feel like you've been served out and you're worn out. I know I feel that way. We've come back from Peru like that. But that's what his word says. Carlos, I have another picture of Carlos. See Carlos over there on the left? Baptizing this guy he led to Christ? That's Pastor Carlos. He's in charge of the church. He was in Mexico City with his wife with us this last week at the pastoral training in our network. Carlos, I've heard his message. He's had a lot of chips and cracks. He's far from perfect. But God's working in his life. Carlos has baptized dozens of people. When Carlos preaches, the altar always fills up. People are always moved. You know, Grace Church, it's time for a fresh crop. If we're talking about planting, it's time for a fresh crop. See, if the, if the clay pot is chipped, cracked, or faded, it doesn't matter. It's what's inside. It's what you carry. And I look around and I think, we have to put that seed in the ground. It's time for a fresh crop. I want to invite you to close your eyes with me this morning. And today, as we finish this service, maybe you feel like one of those pots, the ones I mentioned. Maybe you were up on the mountain, smashed in a million pieces, and God's just brought you here to slowly put you back together. Maybe you feel like you're not even complete. How how can I offer something to God? I've lived like this so long. Maybe you feel like your time has come and passed and it's faded. Maybe you feel like there's, there's, there's no new opportunities. For, my, my time has ended. If someone younger was here, then they could go. But God is saying it, it doesn't matter what the pot looks like. It matters what's inside. And he's been taking the time to slowly, slowly prepare. And there's something inside of you that God wants to serve out that smells so good. When people smell it from a distance, they're attracted. Maybe you feel like you need to be filled back up. You say, Jason, I'm here and I'm chipped up, but I don't feel like there's anything in me to give out. I just want to invite you, if you feel like you want God to fill you up so you can serve out into his kingdom today, put, stand with me. I want to pray for you. If you want, to, want me to pray for you today and you just feel like, I need, to, I need a renewal. I need, Lord, today, I want to be filled back up with your presence, with your passion, and with your heart. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for these people. Thank you. Thank you that the best is yet to come, that you have a fresh crop for this church. Thank you, Lord, that you are ministering, touching, changing, and transforming. Fill them in the name of Jesus. Refresh, renew, and bring a fresh fresh message and anointing over this church. I bless each one of them in the name of Jesus, Lord, that they'll be able to speak words of life to those around them. And I pray for a fragrance, a pleasant fragrance. In Jesus' name, amen.